Korean coach Anita Rose is one of those infectious people who radiate positivity. Just listening to a conversation which was recorded in late November last year, now at the start of the new year, I can't help but feel motivated to learn, grow and set my goals. Anita and I talk about her search for meaning at the beginning of her career, the golden cage of a comfortable city job, and what to do when you find yourself absolutely stuck, particularly as a woman in your mid-30s. Anita's career is a fascinating one with many squiggles along the way, but when she starts talking about helping others find their spark, it becomes clear that she has found hers. Oh, and what do Anita and the Secret Services have in common? Tune in and you'll find out. Each person has what I call a UCW. So it's like a business has a USP or a unique selling point. Each human being has what I call a UCW. It's their unique contribution to the world. And that just is what you're born with. It's your pattern of gifts and how you show up in the world. But I think um, the more that people can find work that aligns with that, then the more fulfilled, the more spark they're going to have. Oh, hello, Anita. So lovely to have you in the virtual studio today. How are you? It's lovely to be here. And um, yeah, very well. It's quite quite cold outside today on the day we're recording. So um trying to keep warm. Yes. Well, hopefully by the time this is released, we'll be in spring. We'll see. Or maybe okay. at least we'll have a sunny day. Um, so do you want to tell us a bit more about what you do now and what your main focus is? So, yes, my, my current focus as of the last 10 years is um, I founded a business called the Career Intelligence Academy. Um, and um, I, I often start by saying it's uh, if, if you're on the ball, you can notice that it can be abbreviated to the CIA, which um, I didn't quite pick up when I <laughs> when I set up the business. And, um, and then when we moved from uh, London to Sussex in lockdown, the house that we bought just happened to be called Langley, which, as you know, uh, as our listeners may know, is where the headquarters of the actual CIA is. So, so now often what I say when people ask me that is, um, you know, what do you do? I run an intelligence business called the CIA operating out of Langley. So, um, yeah, so it's, it's a funny coincidence, but um, really it's, it's based on the premise that the world of work has just changed so radically over the last 10 to 15 years. And I really believe a new kind of intelligence is needed now if we want to create um, fulfilling and successful careers for ourselves as professionals um, that fit with our life overall um, and that can help us to keep growing when really it's quite hard um, to navigate that in today's world of work. Yes, and it's interesting because that's not what you always focused on and it took a little bit of um, twists and turns, as I like to say, because, you know, this is the theme of our season. But um, I was actually looking at your website, which I always do before I see my guests, and you mentioned and describe it as a 20-year career odyssey. So what, what does that mean? And, and how did you start? Obviously, you've had a career in legal and banking and marketing, you squeezed in a lot of things, but how did it all start? So, yes, absolutely. This is not what I always did. And in fact, the reason I set up this business is I, I, I've kind of created, like many entrepreneurs, I've created the uh, product or service that I most needed, that I wish I'd had maybe when I had started my career. And um, yeah, so uh, I use the word odyssey because it does kind of feel 
a little bit that way. I've journeyed through seven careers now, I think, three continents, and it has felt quite like an odyssey or a quest in the sense that what's what's driven it has been this search for meaning right from the beginning and the desire to find something a bit deeper than just making a living, but also making a contribution and kind of creating a meaningful life. All of those things have been important to me uh, from the start. Yes. And, and just to give a little bit of background to our listeners, you started with a career in, you know, a traditional legal, you know, law firm setup, which is miles away from what you're doing now. And then I think, again, you moved into private banking. We mentioned marketing with various firms. You would manage to squeeze in an MBA. And, you know, someone's just looking at those different steps. They might think, well, how are these related? You know, she just did so many different things that seem completely, um, yeah, unrelated. Was there like a silver lining during all those years? Yeah, so it's a great question. I think, I mean, I started out my career very much probably like many of your listeners, not really, to be honest, thinking that much about it. I mean, I do remember wanting to be an opera singer in the sixth form, <laughs> but <laughs> um, I come from quite a traditional background, professional. Um, my parents were doctors and immigrated to this country from India. I was also born in India and came here as a baby. And I think there's, there is something with um, people who, you know, come from, especially India, uh, uh, other sort of countries like that, where being in a profession is really kind of valued. And I think there was quite a lot of cultural pressure, I would say, to go into a profession. Um, and I was also quite academic, so the school also was trying to push me in, in that direction. I think my parents would have liked me to do medicine, but I was squeamish and I used to faint at the sight mm. of blood. So law was kind of a compromise. So that's kind of how I ended up, you know, even even, even choosing law. Well, so it sounds to me like that very first career move wasn't necessarily um, dictated by your true passion. It was more of a, that's what's expected of me. So you weren't necessarily um, the one in the driving seat, to use your, your words. Yeah, exactly. And I, and I think very much it's very common at the beginning of people's careers to just, you know, you fall into something or the way I like to describe it is sometimes, yes, as a passenger in the sense that you're, you're, um, you're living a life really based on other people's expectations for you or what society expects of you. And to be honest, I just thought, well, if I if I do that, work hard, I was kind of quite a good student at school, I worked hard and I thought, well, if I go along with that, that same analogy would work in the workplace. You know, you'd work hard and you'd have a career that that's kind of fulfilling. And it was quite a surprise to me when that actually didn't happen. <laughs> it was quite a few years of getting into law when I thought, hang on a minute, now what? You know, the road seems to have ended in terms of what am I supposed to do now? And I had no benchmark or reference of how to think about that even. Um, I knew something was missing. I wasn't quite where I wanted to be. But it's quite hard sometimes when something's missing to even pinpoint what that is. Yes, indeed. And that was actually what I was going to ask you next. So you were sitting there thinking, well, this is not at all what I expected it to be. Not for me. What do I do next? Or what did I need to do next? Yeah, so 
And I think what's hard as well is if you're in, and I'm sure many of your listeners might be in a similar situation, you know, if you get into a good job, you know, I went to a good law firm, uh, Linklater's in the city, it was a very good firm, I know I was lucky to have a job at that time. Um, And, you know, I really liked the people, it was a great place to work in, and you know, you get a good salary as well. So none of these things are to be scoffed at, they're all really valuable, and I I was very grateful for those things. Um, But in some ways, it makes it harder when you've got something that's good and it's working, um, I sometimes the call fear. it a gold, well. I the call fear. it kind of a, a golden cage in a way. Mm. That, that that metaphor sometimes resonates because, yeah, fine, it may not be giving you everything you want, but it's giving you a lot. And if you leave it, then where do you go? What do, what do you do next? And I think especially if you're quite highly trained in law or accounting or finance or something quite technical. Um, and then you're in one firm for a while, it becomes your universe. And then you think, oh, well, how will I, how will I do if I leave here? You know, you start to ask questions like, well, will I be able to maybe, you know, will my skills work elsewhere? What will I do? So it can be quite difficult to know what else to do. So quite often, it can be an easier decision to just stay. Mm. So what was missing for you when you said, obviously, you had some perks of the jobs and some comfort? I think probably the word is comfort, something that we get in our society so much today. But there was something missing. Yes, I think for me, and look, I really enjoyed law, studying law at university. I really loved, I found it academically challenging. Um, But I think there's something for me about being able to see the impact of my work on um on other human beings or on the world which is not abstract to me city law felt very abstract abstract sorry i was in the litigation department mm. we were working on big cases we worked on you know the privatization of the railways and a lot of big corporate abstract litigation which i i couldn't always connect to personally um and i often felt like a very small cog in a you know big wheel <laughs> um and it just all felt very abstract. I wasn't really connected. Well, I'm sure many can probably relate to that. But I I also think that we, we are sometimes fit the story of that um, successful entrepreneur. They start something, they get a bit of experience, they realize they're not cut to, to do that or something's missing. And then, boom, the next thing you know, that they set up this successful business and off they go and sailing into the sunset. And, and it's not quite like that. And it hasn't been quite like that for you. And you went on to do a few quite different things afterwards didn't you yeah absolutely so I think now it's very different so remember I started my career in the 90s there was no internet Mm. there was barely an email women were not even allowed to wear trousers when I started link later as a case um I I sometimes say I was a millennial before millennials existed so I think (laughs) had there been the kind of social media and entrepreneurial kind of things that existed now then I may have done something like that but there really wasn't um wasn't anything then so I um my law firm actually sent me to Hong Kong there was an opportunity to go out there and um I just thought that would be great just to at least go to a different part of the world and that was fabulous going to Hong Kong um around that time it was 1998 just after the handover a lot was happening it was exciting it was new it was it was fresh and sometimes that can be a good thing to do if you if you're not sure what you want to do at least changing the geographical location especially when you're young and you have no kind of formal commitments can be a really good thing to do to broaden your horizons um so that's what I did. And I think it definitely kind of shook things up for a little while um, working out there. But then after about 18 months, you know, the same 
um, questions came back. And I'll, t- I'll tell you, maybe tell you a little story just to illustrate mm-hmm. Please. Um, w- what it was. So I was in the litigation department and in Hong Kong, I remember um, one of the partners called me into his office one day and said, um, oh, we have, we, have a, we have a problem. And I said, well, what do you mean? Because I knew I was getting on well with the clients. The work was going well. And slightly tongue in cheek, but he said, well, Anita, every case we give you, you settle. And I was quite naive then. I was 28, 29. And I was like, but what's the problem with that? Surely that's good. Um, you know, it saves the client money, that preserves the corporate relationship and business can continue. Isn't that what we're here for? And um, he sort of said, well, no, it's it's basically it's about it's about billing hours. I mean, he, he like I said, semi jokingly, but there was an element of truth of that in those days. Law firms are about billing, aren't they? Billing hours. If you keep settling cases really quickly, the, the cases don't go on. So I'm not suggesting there was any unethical behavior or anything like that. But it, like I said, it was said it was said in jest. But there was a serious point there. And I, I realized, you know, temperamentally, there was a bit of a values clash. I just wanted to sort things out commercially, move on. I wasn't really interested in, you know, the, the minutia, the, the legal kind of cases and keeping a case going and seeing how far it could go. So at that point, I realized I'm really never going to fit in this culture. There was a bit of a culture and, and, and values clash for me. So that was, a, that was an eye opener. Well, I think that you're, you're certainly not the only one who, who felt that way. And there's probably times whenever you work for somebody else that there is a bit of a compromise between your own values and what you believe in and then ultimately what's important for the firm so that the business can continue to grow. And, you know, the only yeah. way around this, I suppose, is to run your own business, which you did. I did, but not for a long time after that. I then um, I initially moved uh, to Morgan Stanley in Hong Kong. I went into the legal department there. Um, and that was a much better fit because um, in a law firm, the being a lawyer, you're at your uh, revenue centre. Whereas, as you will know, if you're a, in, in an in-house legal department in a bank, you're a cost centre. So the more commercial you can be, the better you're going to be at your job. So things went a lot better there. I was much more commercial. Um, I was always thinking about ways of saving money and, and getting work done more efficiently. So, so then I realised, actually, I'm quite good at this commercial stuff and just using law. So I thought mm-hmm. maybe I can go in that direction. Um, and I was working with a lot of um, a lot of Americans there who all had this thing called an MBA, and I'd never heard of that at this point. So I've always loved learning, always about developing and um, learning more stuff. So when I heard about that, I thought I just came up with this idea, Christine. I just thought, well, wouldn't it be nice to go to the states and for two years just take um, a bit of time out, do a two-year full-time MBA. Hmm. Yes, and I think that's often a question that I'm sure you you get from many of your clients, especially in their earlier years when the MBA is a a viable option. So I think there's always something about going back to academia, whether it's something very practical like an MBA or something slightly different. So what was the motivation there for you outside of the, the change of scenery? Did you have an idea when you were applying to the business school what you might be using that for afterwards? Yeah, it's a great question. So when you apply for an MBA, you're supposed to write these essays with a very clear idea of what what you want to do. But in reality, I don't think, you know, part of the reason for going to business school is to explore, isn't it? It's to to find out a bit like when you go to university. Um, 
And for me, very much the motivation was, look, I, I don't know what I don't know. If I go there, I'll have a chance to discover, explore, find out and see if there's a path that would be a better fit for me. Um, and also, just I just wanted the experience. You know, I wanted to travel. I wanted to spend time learning. Um, so all, all of that was really uh, what was behind it. Uh, but I actually arrived in uh, the States on quite an auspicious day because the first day of my MBA was actually 9-11. So that mm. was <laughs> quite a yeah. day to start. Yeah, yeah. of course. But uh, that didn't didn't stop you, obviously, despite the tragic events around that date. And certainly the world changed and a lot of things it were turned upside down. So if anything, that probably created some opportunities. Huge amounts of opportunities. And I have to say it was a very interesting time to be in the US. Um, and of course, yes, the MBA carried on. I made one thing I would say to people is if you're thinking about doing an MBA, it certainly does expand your network. I would say it's the biggest thing. The people you meet there, you know, 20 years on, I'm still in touch with a lot of them. What I would say with an MBA, though, is that it does give you all of that, but it's quite an expensive way of doing it. And if you're looking for if you're looking for an immediate return, it's it it's probably not going to give you that. I would say the benefits of the MBA for me have have been much more long lasting and paid off in really very more qualitative ways for me um, than kind of just a business return on investment type decision. Hmm. So you go to the states you do the mba you come back with a shining degree and what happens next most people think okay so that's the point now she goes back and sets up her um, career intelligence academy but that wasn't quite the case was it you felt that something else was needed first yeah when, when i so a couple of things first of all i tried out various paths when i was at business school like consulting banking but what what i what i did notice and i'm not sure if it's still the same way at business school is that it just felt a little bit like um and I don't mean this in a bad way, but a bit of a sausage factory for all these different pathways, investment banking, management mm -hmm. consulting, which was kind of, for me, the path I'd just been on. And so I didn't feel to go to go down the route to one of those. I may as well have just stayed where I was in law. <clears throat> so I um, I actually came back to the UK and I, I would say I hit a dead end. And I think, you know, some of your listeners may relate to this. You know, you get to certain points in your career where you just run out of ideas and you might have gone down a route thinking something's going to happen and then you hit a bit of a dead end. Um, um, and I must admit, I did feel a little bit lost then and I thought, have I made a big mistake? You know, maybe I should have just stayed in law. But deep down, I think I knew, I, I had a sense then that there was, I was on a path of some sort, but I, I just felt very stuck and I just didn't know what to do next. And I also think, um, you know, for women, that time in your early 30s is quite a tricky time because it's, I would say it's a transition point. It's the sort of time when many people marry, maybe settle down, have families. And if you're not doing that, it can, it can be a point where maybe with some of your other friends, you're going in different directions. If you've been abroad and you come back, things have moved on. So, yeah, I think it was it was a challenging time, both personally and professionally, um, you know, and and really I, I struggled a bit at that time. I, I, I won't lie. Yeah, well, I think that's very important because again, we we often shout about our successes on LinkedIn and social media, and very rarely, I think it's starting to become more normal now that people actually open up about the struggles and the challenges and and what they're working with. And 
And even so, it's not probably as common as it as it should be. So if someone who's listening is feeling in the same, it's probably in the same position, a bit stuck, they can't move away from a job they don't like because, let's say, the opportunities are not that abound, or maybe the 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 industry is not in its peak. People are being made redundant, and there's just a little bit of doom and gloom everywhere. What where would one start? What would they? Which what would you advise them to do? Obviously, now from you know wearing your career coach hat. Yeah, I think it's a great question, and I think looking back now, if I would, I might have advised myself to before I jumped out of law and went off to do the MBA. You know, th- that was a very kind of um, quite a drastic solution to quite a smallish problem, <laughs> and I think in the term, in the sense that it was expensive, it took a lot of energy and time. I, I think. Um, Coaching didn't really exist in those days. It wasn't really a big thing until the sort of 2000s. But I think maybe had I had I had a coach or somebody I could have gone and talked to, there probably would have been other ways to tackle some of the things that were missing. So what I did was I just, you know, I thought law is a problem, leave law. But that's quite a drastic solution. So I wouldn't necessarily advise um, it people who even if they don't like what they're doing now just to just pause before taking that drastic decision to leave maybe go and you know speak to a coach speak to a friend just think it through in terms of what you're doing because there are a lot of things that could probably be be done to optimize where you are now without having to leave your organization and I can only say that because I've left so many organizations <laughs> over my career. And, and and eventually I came to realize that actually leaving your organization is a sledgehammer to crack a nut. And actually there are, not to say you should never leave your organization, that's not what I'm saying, but there are many, many things you can try first um, before you actually go, you know, go down that route. So that's why I, I wonder if we if we fast forward then to when you set up the Career Intelligence Academy. How many years has it been now, and and how did that even come up as a project, or who planted the seed of, of that yeah. possibility? So um, it's been near. It'll be ten years next year that I set up the business. But um, just to quickly fill in the gaps, it was ten years from mm-hmm. coming back from the MBA till I set up the business. And I think it was my experience in those 10 years that really gave me the idea to set it up. And that's because, as I've just said to you, I I was lost for six months. I literally didn't know what to do. And it's a very scary place to be. Um, And recruiters, headhunters certainly then, they 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 couldn't really help because all they're about they act for the employers they're trying to get you into a job they're not really maybe it's a little bit different now but they're not really there to advise you so there there mm. wasn't really people you could ask so um i i um took a couple of jobs one was at american express doing marketing just so i could use my mba skills my criteria was anything that's not law um <laughs> and then i took a job at, in uh, private banking uh, as a private banker um, so through both of those experiences, I learned a huge amount about um, myself, maybe what I wasn't suited to. And then I think I was lucky in um, at UBS, I got given a coach myself. And that's when I discovered coaching. And I realized when I discovered coaching that actually, I describe it a bit like um, a falling in love moment professionally, you know, you know, when you find something, and you just think, ah, oh, yes, I love this. This is me. I could see myself doing this. And it was a real, the first time that ever happened to me. Problem was I was working as a banker. I was private banker. I wasn't a coach. I wasn't even in HR. So how how do you go from that to setting up a business? 
But I have to say, Christina, once I had that insight that this is something I want to do, and this is for your listeners, you know, just even if you have an instinct or an intuition, ah, this is something I think I could do. Once you have that, then it's just a matter of a strategy to get you, you know, then then that's almost the hard bit, you know. Then I was able to go and take a coach training whilst I was still working as a banker on the side. Then I was able to move to Barclays and work in uh, learning and development, work as an internal coach. So I kind of, I, I did kind of what I'm advising people to do now. Even after I knew I wanted to be a coach and run my own business, I didn't leave overnight. I knew I had to get trained. I knew I had to come up with a business plan. So I did all of that while I was still working and getting a salary and then planning when the time was right to leave and set up the Career Intelligence Academy. So certainly a lot of preparation that went in there, which is important because I think people somehow sometimes forget about that. Or maybe they don't, but I think... The, the other thing that really struck me when you were talking was just about that aha moment of you meeting somebody who represented perhaps what you wanted to be, but you hadn't known until that date. And I often think that is the hardest bit, isn't it? Just figuring out what, what your calling is and, and what your uh, motivation is. And I think you, you in your job now, you help others get to, to those conclusions. But I don't know if you have any tips or any recommendations. For where do you start if you're really, really stuck? Well, I think you just hit on a really important point. You know, there's that well-known saying, isn't there? If you can't, um, if you can't see it, you can't be it. I don't know if you've heard that 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 saying. And there mm-hmm. is something about recognition. So when we see somebody else doing what we think, ah, oh, yes, I'd love to do that. And this is why it's so important to go out, meet other people, talk to other people, just find out what else is out there. Because sometimes you may not know, you may feel stuck, but when you see it. There's something in you that might recognize it, which is what happened to me. Um, So pay attention. I think my first tip would be pay attention to things that jump out at you, that you notice. And don't discount them because it's very easy. I think we, we live in a world where it's a bit black and white sometimes. People are a bit black and white. So I see this a lot, binary thinking. Oh, I'm either in my job or I have to do this, but I'm not ready to do this, so I have to stay here. And people set up these kind of, black and white thinking about their work. It doesn't have to be that way. It might be, okay, this isn't the ideal job for me, but I'm here now, so I'm going to maximize it. Meanwhile, I'm going to see what else I enjoy doing, and I'm going to start planting some seeds and see what takes off. So it can be a both and. Yeah, and I think that's very important because we always learn to see things as black and white only, or it's either this or that, or I can't do this. When I think you're proposing a much less radical and practical approach, which I think is important to be aware of. Well, I think it's, so you work in finance, you know, the concept of diversification mm. and that uh, you would never, you know, I, I sometimes Putting say to your people, eggs in one basket. Yeah. yeah. Most people need to have, you know, balance of asset classes and, and a diversified portfolio is going to give you the best returns. And it's the same when it comes to a career, you know, some people might win the career lottery, pick the right job at the right time as a single stock and it go all the way through and, you know, great that does happen but it doesn't happen for everybody and certainly if you're not sure I would recommend a diversified portfolio so what do I mean by that well if you're picking your diversified investments something that pays you money a job you know a salary that that's not unimportant unless you're privately wealthy that 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 matters something that gives you skills 
something that, um, you know, allows you to contribute, something that, you know, so all of these different aspects, um, when you reflect a little bit, you can make sure you get all of these things in your portfolio. And some of them may come from your paid employment. And some of them may come from voluntary work. Some of them may come from side projects. Do you see what I mean? So it's, it, it's, it's, it's maybe Pieces my private puzzle. Yeah. yeah. And, and maybe I am, have approached my career change cautiously, a bit like a lawyer or a private banker or a marketer would, mm-hmm. you know, I've yeah. used all of those skills to help me make the career change in a strategic, intentional, but cautiously, a cautious way. I haven't jumped off a cliff with it. Yeah. And I think much with investing, you just need to be aware of the risks on, on both sides and, and be prepared for all eventualities with, with these more risky decisions. But again, I um, I was sitting there when, when when you were talking and thinking, maybe there's many people out there who are thinking, oh, maybe I should get a career coach or work with someone. And sometimes I wonder if people really even understand what a career coach means. And, you know, the fact that this is not a mentor, this is not necessarily someone who will tell you how to do your job, let's say. It's about something different, isn't it? It is. And I think... There are lots of different people who can help you in different ways, and they're all important, but they're different. A coach won't give you advice or guidance or tell you what to do. What a coach is trained to do is to help you explore the questions yourself. So that's very different to kind of telling you based on their own experience, if you see what I mean. So both mentors, coaches are important to help you if you're thinking through. And just, you know, not just that, talking to people you know, friends, um, people in your network, all of these things are important lines of inquiry. Um, and together, they will they'll help you to build up a picture. Um, mm. But coaching, yes, can be a very, very helpful part of the the process for the right kind of person, I would say. Mm. Yeah. So do you actually currently in the Career Intelligence Academy, do you teach or um, coach people one-to-one or do you focus mostly on working with corporates? How does how does that work? Yeah. So, so yes. So at the moment, no, I just, the Career Intelligence Academy just works with organizations. So we mm-hmm. do coach, but it's through the organization. But mainly we run workshops for employees and managers so they're kind of coaching style workshops. So for individuals, it's basically how to take control of their career so that they can get more of what they mm-hmm. want in their current organization. And then we train managers to basically help their teams to do that in a way that's good for the individual and good for the organization. However, it's really interesting. I recently gave um, a talk, a keynote at one of the uh, graduation ceremonies of, um, in fact, the week I met you, I, I went to gave a keynote um, at a coaching graduation. And the theme I was talking about is um, each person has what I call a UCW. So it's like a business has a USP or a unique selling point. Each human being has what I call a UCW. It's their unique contribution to the world. And that just is what you're born with. It's your pattern of gifts and how you show up in the world but I think um, the more that people can find work that aligns with that then the more fulfilled the more spark they're going to have them you know when you see somebody who's just doing what they're meant to be doing it's that kind of aliveness doesn't mean it's always going to be easy um, but they know they know that they're kind of on the right path so from next year onwards I think I'm going to open up a few slots for individuals who want to explore that so not 
paid for by the organisation, but just individuals who maybe they're kind of quite senior people or maybe they're in transition or maybe they're just starting out. They just want a bit of space to explore the question, you know, what is life calling me to do? And they just want to do that privately, you know, with a coach. So watch the space. I'm thinking of setting something Mm -hmm. up like that next year, but up until now, not really. It's all been with organisations. Yeah, and this is so interesting. What is life calling you to do? And I feel that we don't often get asked that question enough. You know, I think you've, I've increased it. And this is partly why I'm now starting to do some of that work, because I think we live in a culture, I don't know if you agree, Christina, but certainly I've seen the shift. We live in a culture which doesn't um, prioritise the interior life. You know, it, 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 it might have a little bit of mindfulness or self-care or um, stress reduction. But all of those things are seen to be kind of antidotes to get you better so you can get back out there. They're not valued in and of themselves. Do you see what I mean? So uh, as a culture today, the modern world and particularly in the West, we've really lost a lot of the those capacities to tune in to our intuition, to our imagination. Um to kind of cultivate that interiority where we can almost trust our own inner guidance. I think many people struggle to do that. And even if they block out time to do it, they don't really know where to start. And I think that's that's increasingly, I'm becoming aware, that capacity needs to be rebuilt in people. Uh, because otherwise, if you don't have that inside you, you're just you know, basing everything based on what's going on in the outside world, which at the moment is like a hall of mirrors, you know, that's no, isn't a real compass, you have to have that guidance from within. So that's really what I'm focused now on helping people to um, reconnect to recultivate, and um, bring that kind of that aliveness, that spark alive inside of a person. Well, that's very interesting. And I'm sure you may get some follow ups on the back of um, hinting a little bit about what's coming up next year. So if people wanted to find you or connect with you, what's the best way? So at the moment, probably because I do have a website, but it's probably more aimed at corporates, careerintelligenceacademy.com. So probably the best thing is to, at the moment is to connect with me on LinkedIn. Um, you can follow me or just if you're listening to this podcast, just direct message me, say you've heard me on here. And if you want to follow up, that's probably the best, the best way to connect with me at this stage. Mm, perfect. And then finally, I was just wanted to ask you because you mentioned about the work that you do with corporates, and I'm thinking there might be people wondering, well, what's the what's the value in that? I'm just going to pay for someone, let's say, if you're a manager or a business owner, for someone to discover that their passion is is something else and leave my organisation. But what do you say to them, and why is it so important to actually empower employees to navigate their careers rather than just do annual evaluations once in a while? Uh, that's a great question so it's that's nearly always the pushback I get for really senior people at the exec level why do we want we don't want people to be uh, doing this they'll just leave so generally speaking and and this is based on working with many organizations and um, many individuals over the last 10 years you know what most people don't want to leave their organization what people want is they want to be enjoying their work, feeling that they're challenged, feeling that they're growing, feeling that the work they're doing is making a difference. That's what people want. And if they're able to do that where they are, they'd happily stay. 
The problem is organizations and managers are stuck because the world of work around them has changed and they don't have the answers either. So it's very difficult now. It's like the blind leading the blind in a way. So what what career intelligence is about is actually it's not just empowering individuals to go and be quite demanding and saying we want more money or anything. It's it's enabling individuals to it's giving them a framework on how to break down this nebulous topic into manageable chunks that they can actually do something about helping them to see that yes money's important but there are many many more things that have to be there which i think people know you know to have a satisfying career and same with managers managers want you know so many managers Christina i know they want they do care they want to help their team members but they just don't know where to start they haven't been trained that way they don't you know each person is so different they're terrified of getting it wrong they they don't have the solutions they're equally stuck so this really helps because what what this is helping this isn't just helping individuals this is helping managers and employees to have more meaningful conversations, which um, what I call mutually beneficial outcomes. What does that mean? It means it's good for the individual to flourish in their role within the company, and it's good for the organisation. So we're always looking for mutually beneficial outcomes. So that's why it works. It's 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 kind of all the benefits of executive coaching, but scalable, basically. Hmm. Sounds like you might be onto something there. So um, I hope that many of our listeners are hopefully taking notes and getting some inspiration, especially um, as we start to plan our goals for the, for the next year. The last thing I would just say is mm-hmm. um, the point you raise is exactly why I'm now starting the ECW coaching for pe- for individuals who don't want to look at that question through the organisational lens, who actually want some time to just think it through independently. So they're too completely different offerings but career intelligence is very much focused on helping the individual and helping the organization i hope that you've been inspired by this episode with anita to make sure you trust your inner guidance every time you find yourself at a crossroad next time on the show we have joanna perry george founder of talk education who shares her fascinating journey from being a theatrical agent to becoming a successful business founder shaking up the way parents look at independent schools these days. Thank you so much for listening to The Sound of Breaking Glass. If you enjoyed this episode, please don't forget to follow us on your podcast app, tell a friend about us, or check us out on LinkedIn. New episodes are released every other Wednesday. It's been a real pleasure. Till next time.